This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. And today we have a really exciting interview with the director and associate producer of a really exciting, dramatic, radical film, I Am More Dangerous Dead, that is going to be appearing at the Bristol Film Festival, the Bristol Independent Film Festival in November. We have with us in the studio Winifred O. Adeyemi and we've got Majie Uchibeke. And they're going to tell us about the, they're going to tell us all about the film and the process of it. Winifred is the associate producer. Majie is an award-winning Nigerian director and producer based in Los Angeles who put this together. Thank you both very much for coming. It's, um, this is really, really exciting. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here, particularly myself being a Bristol-born person, although I'm more of a Londoner now. <laughs> it's great that we've been embraced by the city to have won the Best Student Documentary Award because Bristol's always been so far ahead in the UK in matters of environment, ecology and civil justice. So it's great that it's been so well received. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shona, for this interview. Thank you, Winifred, for all you've done in bringing this theme to the UK and all over Europe. Um, it's exciting to be here to share the story of Ken Sarawiwa, which our film is about. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourselves to start with. So, um, Majie, uh, you start. Tell us a bit about how you got into filmmaking. So I got into filmmaking in high school in Nigeria, where I was part of an entertainment club in my high school. So my job was to, whenever we had events like plays, you know, dance shows, I would film it, I would take pictures. And I just, I just fell in love with the process of putting it together. So when I came to the U.S. for grad school, I decided to pursue filmmaking. And um, I currently am in the MFA film, filmmaking program at the University of Southern California, where I have over time gotten better, and uh, which is where I made this film as part of my thesis graduation project. Amazing. And Winifred, how did you get into it? Well, it was great to get involved because I hadn't really been involved in film for a very long time. I had studied it in my teens as part of my A-levels in media, but I've had more of a background in creative direction with still photography and business development. I've worked quite a lot in sustainable sustainability, sustainable um, enterprise, etc. So it was really great when Magic came to me. Um, I came on board as associate producer after the film had been finished. I started off with a copyright issue that I resolved and then I've become more involved in um, production, mainly with the film festival circuit and marketing promotion of the film. Incredible. So let's get into it. Tell us about the film. So it's I Am More Dangerous Dead. We just heard the trailer for it. It's a really dramatic traumatic, harrowing story, but it's an important one. Um, Majie, what inspired you to tell this story? What really inspired me to tell this story was for us, Ken Sarawiwa back in Nigeria is a national hero. He's very, very popular for what he did, you know, for his fight for justice. But when I came to the US, I realized nobody knew about Ken. Nobody knew about the injustices that happened to us how oil companies like Shell came over to exploit our oil, polluted the environment, did not give anything back to the people and colluded with the dictatorship government back then to execute Ken Sarawiwa and eight other activists. So in the making of this film, we went to Shell gas stations to ask people, do you know who Ken Sarawiwa is? Do you know where the 
the gas you're putting in your car right now comes from. 100% of them did not know who Ken was. And all of them also did not, have never even thought about where this gas they are buying comes from. So for me, I knew I had to make this film to make sure Ken is known, to make sure his legacy is not forgotten. Yeah, and what sort of challenges have you both come across in terms of making the film and also then maybe promoting it? Um, I wouldn't say, well, I guess one of the main challenges that Maggie would have had, which is when I came on board, was some of the copyright clearance, which I addressed and why we have the film today. I think... What, what, sort, of, could... what sort of copyright clearance? Can you tell us about that or is it, or is it sensitive? Okay, so there was a in- very important interview. It was the last interview that Ken gave prior to him leaving the UK, never to return. And, um, you know, the, the copyright holder had, um, you know, had been a bit of an issue trying to negotiate the copyright release, which I managed to resolve. So I guess that would have been the greatest challenge because without it, it's a very important part of the film and it wouldn't have been um, of the potency that it is where it's probably won so much awards based on having Ken himself speaking there. So that was a challenge. But I think when we look at the, the way that society is at the moment around the world with climate action, climate justice, activism, I mean, even this week, I had a screening with Fossil Free London as part of their oily money out mobilization. The challenges, you know, I think we have a lot more support because the world realizes at this time, climate change is affecting all of us. So some of the issues that Ken spoke of in 1995 or prior is now felt all around the world. So I think this is the perfect time for the story to be told. Ken was, I would say, the original climate action activist during his um, protest. And he actually paid with his life for trying to do the right thing for the environment, the Nigerians, you know, in the Niger Delta and elsewhere. So I think the challenge would be um, maybe the opposition that could be seen of the film, where there are people who are maybe pro fossil fuels, but... We've not really seen much, I would say, in my case of opposition. I think the, we've been very much embraced by the public and by the um, film festival circuits because it's a real story of our time. Yeah, it feels like a story that needs to be told. And Majie, what what sort of challenges, how was it for you making the film? So making a film like this is very difficult for multiple reasons. First, Ken is no longer alive, so we don't have access to him. So we have to rely heavily on archival footage. For example, the last interview Ken did, which you know we had some issues getting clearance for, but we did with the help of Winifred. So that was that in itself was a challenge. But I'm glad we had family members of Ken who were still alive who spoke on his behalf. Um, Ken's friend Lady Mite, um, who was with him in detention, who was part of the movement. We were able to get in touch with him to speak with us. And since we were making this movie from the US, from Los Angeles, that also was a challenge, which we resolved the right way because we had a Nigerian crew on ground to get all the archival footage we um, we needed, to get all the real footage of Ogoni now and the Niger Delta that we needed. So that in, that in itself, you know, directing a film from the US film about Nigeria from the US was kind of a challenge too, but it was it was a challenge I knew I was excited to take on and our crew, our crew member in Nigeria were fantastic. So we were able to do it. Incredible. And what sort of um response have you had uh to the film being made both in Nigeria and then further abroad? 
we've had a mixed response uh, in the West, in the in the US, in this part of the world, and in Europe. It's been a very good response. <laughs> but in Nigeria, it's a bit different, um, especially for the film festivals in Nigeria. None of them has accepted this film, except one which is a film festival in Bayelsa State in the Niger Delta, which I, I assume is why they accepted it. But the big festivals in Nigeria have not accepted this film. So um, I, I really don't know what's going on there. But I, I believe, you know, the youths of Nigeria are really going to be inspired by this film when they get the opportunity to see it. We've screened it in Ogoni. You know, we had good reception for it over there as well. Yeah, maybe it's um, it's... It's so raw. Maybe it's it's so powerful. There's people who are uncomfortable with it. Um, I think it would be people maybe endorsing it because it's still a very active political situation. You know, there's still a cleanup that needs to happen, and you know, um, the involvement of the government early on. So you know, people it is sort of an anti-establishment film for some that maybe would not want to associate with it. But I think it's a very befitting because Ken's own words were, I am more dangerous dead. And he's now through Maggi take it on the baton, bringing this environmental story to the younger generation, such as Maggi and others who were not alive at that time, were very young at that time, or were not aware. So one of the things that Ken said in his own time was that he believed that as much as telling stories, writers, and I would say by extension, filmmakers, must be actively involved in shaping society's present and future. So you would have to really know if you're championing this film in Nigeria, you are sort of taking a political stance. So maybe that's why it's not so um, embraced because um, you are sort of nailing your colours, the mast, where you stand. And some people may not be in the position to do that. Yeah, and and where it has appeared in and festivals, whether in Nigeria or further abroad, uh, how how have audiences reacted to it? They've reacted very very positively. People have come up to us and said, you know, we never knew this happened. Wow, a lady came up to us crying one time at a festival that you know she feels very sorry that this was even allowed to happen. You know, people have been saying, I will never buy from a shell gas station again. So those are some of the reactions we've been, we've been getting, very, very positive reactions. Yes, we've had very positive reactions. So um, we won second prize at the International Nature and Environmental Protection Film Festival in Hungary in June. And I went to collect that award. And people there, you know, as Maggie said, you know, they were really kind of struck by it. There were people that were in tears and also looked at how this reflected on some of their own government measures with um, at the, at the um, government now where in terms of clean water. So people look at the story and make it relevant to the ones that they're going through in some of their own societies and countries now. And, the, you know, just universally, the injustice is felt by many and they want to know what they can do to, to make um, changes. Yeah, and I, I suppose, why is it that this story isn't sort of known in the West, do you think? Do you have any theories about that? You know, you said you went to gas stations and asked them, do they know his name? And and many, many people didn't. So, like we know, Shell is a very, very powerful company um, that's been around for a long time. In our research, we find that Shell makes $1 billion every day. Oh, so wow. That's a very, very rich company that can make things like this disappear with, you know, public relations, 
um, campaigning and all of this stuff they've been they've been able to do and you know like just outrightly silencing and killing people you know so um for me that's just how i found it you know i tried to not make up um tears about it but that's just the truth and the fact of the matter as we found it well i think as well it's not always on the western news agenda in the same way um i mean even today i think over in the coming well today it was announced you know john vidal who was a um, journalist environmental editor at the guardian passed away so you have to look at those who were actually taking it as part of the news agenda who really were for climate action and that was not always going to be mainstream um, so that's a real reason why it's not known in the mass um, of society, you know, you know, really seen in mass media. So, yeah, it hasn't always been on the news agenda. Yeah. And what do you want people to go away thinking or feeling after this film? What message do you want people to take away from it? So the message, I think one of the most important message I would like people to take away from this is conscious consumerism. So... I think it's time we need to start thinking about the stuff we consume and asking ourselves who actually worked to, to bring this to my table or for me to put this gas in my car where they paid fairly, where they treated right by these big corporations that are supplying all these things to us. And I think that's the biggest message in this. And you know, also according to like Global Witness, they, in their research, they said over 200 activists were killed worldwide uh, every year so it's like this is um these are people who are fathers brothers children uncles to real people you know these are people losing their life standing for what they believe in believing protecting their environment so um for me i also wanted to share that awareness that people have been killed worldwide that we should all be you know should all be very sensitive and careful about the stuff we buy and who we buy from. Definitely. And I think for myself, relative to the previous question, there was a very great report written by um, Greenpeace and the Ronnie Mead Trust in the UK last year that also spoke about environmental racism. And that's actually been discussed at Parliament. There was a session earlier this week where evidence was given. So that's one of the reasons it wasn't on the news agenda. I think that around the world, wherever we are, we're all consumers of petroleum products. It's not just the gasoline in the cars or the petrol, diesel here. Also, you need to look at the petroleum that can be in beauty products, um, so many things. So we just also, as Maggie said, be very conscientious about our consumption. Um, through what we consume, it has an ecological impact and it connects everybody to the situation in Agoni. Um, and now we're all experiencing the impact of fossil fuel emissions and climate change comes closer to home for all of us. So I think we all have, uh, you know, should be behind the cause and the um, mission of people trying to remedy a lot of the ecological damage, the ecocide, the mass destruction of the environment in the Niger Delta. It's a very bad state due to the oil pollution that Shell has to clean up and hasn't started doing adequately yet. Yeah, and I think um, you made a good point there about environmental racism, I think, because the environmental movement, certainly in the UK, I think in the West, is often led by very white people or it's seen as sort of quite separate from more systemic issues like um, workers' rights or like racism. But we know that um, the majority of the world being affected by the climate crisis so far is in the global south, if I'm not mistaken. And so the 
the communities that have contributed some of the least to these issues are the ones at the forefront of it. And we don't even have the statistics for the number of people dying of the climate crisis in many countries because they're not being gathered. Yeah, well, I think when you look at it, in wherever you are, we are in the West or the global North, if, if you're white, you have a privilege to even be able to protest because one of the things that when I'm out with groups like Extinction Rebellion, Fossil Free London, etc., looking at the actions and mobilisations that they're doing, you will find that there will maybe more white people who are actually protesting because they have the privilege and luxury of being able to take time off because maybe a lot of other people are at work or they're less likely to face arrest. And they recognise that is the position to take in the forefront of the protesting. And um, I think it's just people being aware of you know the impact that our consumption, even if we're a shareholder in a company, can hold them to, res- to account for the actions if you're a shareholder and what they're doing. So I think people have who are maybe in the global north who have these assets, they should use their conscience and their privilege and their access to actually have these conversations in these rooms in the upper echelons of power and try to influence the right changes that are required for everybody in society. Yeah, and I think of things like in the UK, our pension funds are often invested in fossil fuel companies, fossil fuel projects. And I know there's something, there's a big movement to divest away from that. So there are real campaigns people can get involved in if, yes, if they want. there are. There are. So I was supporting um, when Cambridge University had a very large investment in fossil fuels and now they've divested. So the students at the University of Cambridge made that change happen. So maybe I'm not sure what the University of Bristol's um, investments look like, but that those people that have the voice can make it known that they don't um, appreciate or will not tolerate that in the longer term. So we all have the power if we make our voice known. Absolutely. And so um, we're almost out of time. It's running very quickly. I know you both have uh, you. other other events going on. The Bristol Independent Film Festival, that is happening next month in the middle of November. Uh, people can keep an eye on their website, keep an eye out for tickets. Is there any other message you'd like to leave with people? Uh, any other way they can support this film or support the people at the forefront in the Niger Delta? Yes, first of all, I would like to say thanks to the Bristol International Film Festival you know, for giving us this platform to share this important story and this film. And thank you, Shona, for this interview. I think for the listeners at home, I would really love if you can do more research about this, you know, to learn more about what happened. Because our film is a 24-minute film, which we barely scratched the surface of the issue. So look up Ken Sarawiwa, look up the Niger Delta struggle so you can see, you know, all what happened, you know, the injustices we faced and our fight against them. And I just hope in whatever way you can to protect your own environment and to do whatever you can to help us in our struggle. Hopefully the people who have perpetuated injustices against us can be brought to justice. Thank you. And Winifred, any last words from you? No, I'd just like to say thank you to Bristol because always been at the forefront. I think that's created part of my consciousness growing up there, you know, in the West Country, surrounded by nature and we've preserved it very well. And we've always, um, you know, been very interested in social justice, fighting for what's right. So I think most people, if they're not well informed, they have the tools to inform themselves more and keep up your, your great work of activism and bring it some of it towards this cause. That would be great. Great. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, everyone keep an eye out on the Bristol Independent Film Festival for tickets. 
and for more information about this and many other amazing films going on. Majie and Winifred, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. This is the podcast version of One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show, broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM Radio, available on 93.2 FM, on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM Radio.